press my little button. Hello. Hello, people. I'm talking about um, the prophetic culture. Did anyone feel a shift in the atmosphere as well? You feel the shift, the presence, the peace of the Lord. And that's what I was talking about last time is the presence of God um, and how we can be grateful for when He gives us even a bit of His presence. That's, that's the starting point. You're grateful for it. But in the kingdom, it's been said by a few wise people that um, when you eat, you get more hungry. When you eat, it's the opposite to the world. In the world, you eat, you get full. But in the kingdom, you eat, you get more hungry. And then you go, wow, what is that I just tasted of? And then the hunger of the Lord starts to um, come in, in, inside of you. And then you realize, man, I can't live without more of that person called Jesus. But it's a healthy hunger where you're not, you're not feeling like you're lacking. Um, it's, you're not hungering out of striving or anything like that. You're hungering out of fullness. What do we got? Anyways. But tonight's topic I'm going to talk about is um, uh, the culture of the prophetic. So we've been talking about prophetic culture with Maria a lot and what, um, what the uh, prophetic culture is. And Maria hit on how to prophesy and she was talking about that. And she was talking about the impact of people with prophetic anointings in the church. She talked about a whole lot of different things. But my favorite thing about um, the prophetic, which is essentially seeing things from God's vantage point and then speaking those things that you see, though they might not be the reality on this world. Um, and so my favorite thing about that type of thing is the way it's intrinsically linked to day-to-day life relationship with the Lord, um, that it isn't something that just stays in the heavenlies and it's super spiritual, but it, it, it's heaven touching earth and invading and transforming uh, situations from a highly spiritual vantage point, um, but it comes to make real day-to-day impacts on the way we live our life, on the way we treat one another, and the way we um, view circumstances and and trials or positive circumstances. Um, So the first thing I want to talk about was, strangely enough, you can't understand what the prophetic is without understanding what grace is. Um, so, because pr- prophecy and, and, the, and, and speaking what God says, His language is the language of grace. It's, it's, it's this, it, 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 and when He speaks, what He's speaking is this language of grace. And the prophetic and grace are so intertwined, it would be wrong of me not to start um, with, with grace. So, let me just read, um, I'll read from just an uh, amazing passage on the grace of God just to set us up and to get us flowing in this mindset. Um, As we think about the grace of God, there's two main things that it entails. So the grace of God is God saying, um, giving you undeserved kindness and undeserved favor um, when, when when you don't deserve it, that you haven't earned, that you haven't gained on your own merit. And the other element of grace is it, it carries with it um, so God's essentially calling you what you're not, but with it carries the divine empowerment for you to live what he's called you. So he calls you something that you're not before you actually are it. So he calls you righteous when you're not righteous. He calls you perfect when you're not perfect. He calls you blameless when you haven't been blameless your entire life. So he calls you something that you're not 
But with that word carries the divine empowerment. It's the power in that word that um, carries with it the ability for you to carry out what that word requires of you. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like what he's saying is he's calling you something that you're not. <laughs> but within that word, and there's a release and a shift. And, and when, once that word of identity hits your heart, inside of you, that capacity to live Christ-like gets unraveled within your very being. Okay. Yes. And also, because it's so small, just ask questions. Or yeah. Because I grew up in like the evangelical church, they only talked about the first version. Yeah. Of grace, which is the undeserved favor. Yeah. Which is definitely part of it, like you said. They never mentioned the second part. Uh I'm just wondering, is there scriptures that you have in mind? that actually showed that reality. Yeah. It actually, there's like a power released in that. Yeah. So I can't think of anything, but I was just wondering. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it was actually, when I read, the first time I read it, I think pretty sure it was in the Strong's definition. Oh, okay. When I had grace, you, I looked it up, Dub, double check when you like get home or whatever. But yeah. when I looked it up in the Strong's definition, it was, um, maybe Jules, you can do it for me. But it was, um, one of the things of grace was undeserved favor, but then it was also the divine empowerment to change. Right. Um, Did you know of any scriptures that yeah. are particular to the second one? Yeah, t- uh, yeah totally. Um, John, John 8, Jesus and the adulterous woman. Yeah. Undeserved, like assuming that Jesus is the embodiment of grace, um, which, which he is, we wouldn't doubt that. He came to this woman, showed her undeserved favor undeserved mercy but then at the end of the whole thing he says go now and sin no more so he's he's banking on in that divine encounter of undeserved favor and undeserved mercy that now there's going to be the he wouldn't tell her to do something that she can't do um a a good father always tells his children to do something that they have the capacity to do the good father would never ever tell their children to do something that they can't actually carry out and so he says, go now and sin no more. So the assumption is that there's a, there's a divine, there's a release of um, God's presence, God's spirit in that encounter to then d- divinely empower her to not sin anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Is that probably good? Is that a good one for you? So like one of the, like the strongest references is, is, is uh, divine influence on the heart. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you got the divine influence of light on the heart, and then the heart, because that in that evangelical church as well, they are incredible at preaching our need for a savior and incredible at preaching the cross. But then the divine influence of the heart gets left out. Yeah. Once light comes into dark heart, dark heart becomes light heart, <laughs> and so, and it's all about your heart. Once your heart's changed, well, that's that, that's the battle. Yeah. Um, and then there's a yeah, so. John 8, um, Titus as well. Up, up, up. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Grace is, yeah. Yeah. There's a heap, there's a lot. And then, like, even if you follow the train of like the Romans road and you go with like three, Romans three, which I was going to read about, like, divine, um, like, grace. Uh, and, but it, it talks about, then it goes into four, five, and then six, and then six is, is talking about divine empowerment. Yeah. 
co-crucified with Christ, co-resurrected with Christ. Mm-hmm. And then you get into Romans 8, it's life by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's re- yeah, it's... Uh, t- uh, uh, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, nice. Um, okay. So first things first, I'll just set us off with this. Ba ba ba. Um, let's start at uh, yeah. So Romans three, verse nine. Actually, you know what? We why don't we go to? Let's go to John. Uh, John eight. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> change tact. But that's it. Sometimes, like, it's an actual real life event. Like, this actually happened. This woman had to face to face with Jesus, and it can help. And it's gonna, and it's just gonna get us. It's good to good to read it, but it's gonna get us to be understanding the grace of God. So, John eight, verse one. Um, but Jesus, yeah, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Adultery, And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such a woman shall be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something, to, something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who, is with, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I suppose that is like really cool as well. Like he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And so it's the same grace that saves that adulterous woman from being condemned is the same grace that saves her from the repeated act of sinfulness. So that story is talking about the grace of God and it's Jesus facing this woman and then she gets completely undone by this free gift that she really didn't deserve. She didn't earn. She'd been doing really bad stuff like that is we'd all agree that adultery is not a good fun thing it destroys marriages it destroys people's lives but she came face to face with grace himself she came face to face with jesus and and jesus um embodied that and he showed her mercy when she didn't deserve it but then he provided her with the empowerment to uh be free from that difficult situation that she was in when he says go and then sin no more it's the same grace that will keep you from sin that is the same grace that saves you from from the from the effects of it now so now cool everyone tracking so we've got grace we're looking at that the prophetic is so intertwined with this it's not even funny and 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 my favorite thing about it um i think is that it changes the whole lens that we live by 
So when we're living with this vantage point and we're looking from heaven's perspective down to earth, um, it, it, it changes the way we view things in the natural. Let me read in Galatians. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is how viewing things prophetically will change um, the way we relate to one another. So from Galatians, um, what am I doing? Oh, sorry. That's another verse that I wanted to read. Anyway, we'll read this one. Galatians 2, um, verse 19. And so it says in 2 verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In 2 Corinthians 5, we've also got um, a similar verse. This is what I want to read as well. Um, And you got um, bu- bu- 521. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Also, you got the, the scriptures about if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. But before that scripture, where it says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Um, the old is gone. The new is here. It says we therefore don't judge anyone according to the flesh. So what the prophetic does is it changes the way we look at people and it changes the way we judge people. Now, coupled with the prophetic culture, those, those scriptures are basically saying you're one in Christ. You've got a new nature. You've got a new identity. You've become brand new and become the righteousness of God in Jesus. It's calling you something that you might, well, you most, we probably haven't lived that yet. We haven't, that hasn't become our reality, right? He's calling you something that um, it's, it's seeing from heaven's vantage point. And when the father looks at you, he sees you as a new creation. When heaven looks at you, he sees you as the righteousness of God in Jesus. When heaven looks at you, he sees you as the perfection of Jesus. As, yeah, and, and, you got, and you got Ephesians 1. Yeah, exactly. And then holy and blameless in his sight. So this, and you're going, wow, this isn't really lining up with reality. <laughs> God needs a reality check, right? God's going, the prophetic is all about saying that God's reality is superior to our reality. 
Because when we get to heaven one day, what happens is uh, this earth and this life is going to pass away, this world, all gone. And heaven's going to be the only reality that's there. And the Lord's training us ahead of time to think from heaven's reality rather than the earth's reality. So this completely sounds like uh, conceptual. It's not. It's so real because this changes the way we relate to one another. The prophetic culture like this has to be coupled with a culture of correction and confrontation, authenticity, vulnerability. Okay, you have to have both of them going on at the same time. Otherwise, it can get lopsided. But tonight, this is the topic. So we're talking about the prophetic culture. And now we have a new mandate. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. We therefore judge. We don't judge people according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We have a mandate now to judge people according to their destiny rather than their history. So the way we look at one another has to be um, through the lens of the way the Lord sees us according to our destiny and who he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We can't in the name of discernment pick out people's flaws and then find a reason why we should break fellowship with them discernment is when jesus says to his disciples you don't know they wanted to cast down fire from heaven um because of this town was sinful they said should we just blast them with fire <laughs> and they had some serious heat going on and jesus says you don't even know what spirit you're of you don't know what spirit you're of so anytime we have vengeance or we want to uh smite some people jesus looks at us and he goes nick you don't know what spirit you're of, buddy. <laughs> you don't know the way I see you. And you don't know who you are in me. This has to be coupled with the culture of correction and culture of feedback. Because we can't, we, we, we have to also look at people, like uh, look at our lives and be accountable to one another and be real and honest and everything like that. But with, if you have one without the other, you're missing a piece of the pie. And so we have to be judging one another, looking at the... Uh, Apostle Paul rather than seeing the terrorist Saul. So when you look at someone in the church and you see the terrorist Saul, God's going, don't know what, don't know what spirit you're operating out of, but that's not the one we, we did. That's not the one that I gave to you. It's not, not the way we're operating. Now, the, the world loves to operate in tit for tat. It goes, okay, um, you did this, and so I'm going to repay you with this. You did this bad thing, so I'm going to judge you according to that. And you can talk to anyone, and you say to anyone, I want to judge someone according to their destiny rather than their history. The head just about explodes. <laughs> the head just goes, what? <laughs> no, I want people to get justice. <laughs> we want vengeance. Like, we want them to be smushed. Well, Jesus goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. What happened to the fruits of the Spirit? What happened to suffering long? What happened to not seeking its own? What happened to being patient and kind? Gentle, meek. The Lord's saying, to us, saying through, through this, he's, and, and Jesus modeled it in John 8. He's going, if, if he viewed her as this filthy, adulterous woman, then it would have been right to have a stone. But he's going, no, no, you don't see what I see. He's going to the Pharisees, no, you guys aren't looking the way I look. Because once I get done with her, once the Father's love gets done with her, she is going to look cleaner than you'll ever be, Pharisee man. Mm 
<laughs> so there's a whole new angle from heaven that we're, we're, which we are to look. We're to judge people according to the spirit. We know exactly what that looks like. It's looking at people and saying, wow, you're one in Christ. You're the righteousness of God. You're perfect. You're blameless. Right? So if, if we're not looking at people through that lens, then we're just going to fault find behavior patterns and we're not going to have a standard to call them higher to. So the culture of correction springboards off the prophetic culture because now once you say, I say to Sim, dude, you're the righteousness of God in Jesus. You're holy and blameless in his sight. He feels amazing. He feels loved and accepted. But also what I've done is given him the divine empowerment he needs to live to the capacity that the Holy Spirit wants him to live to. Now we have a culture of feedback and correction that can hold him accountable to that. So if then he goes and robs a bank or does something crazy, <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But, um, uh, that would be, but if he did that, now I've got something, a correction springboards up because I'm not just fault finding his behavior. I'm fault finding, I'm, I'm saying, you're not seeing who you are. You're not seeing who you are in Christ. You're not seeing that you're a new creation. You're not seeing that you're an honest man, right? So now I've got correction that can springboard off the identity that Jesus has placed inside of him. Yes. Uh-huh. A bag of snakes and all this stuff yeah. and like some of the devil and Yeah. Yeah. And um and when he calls out even towns that he goes and preaches to and does miracles to them and says, You got woe to you guys because you didn't repent. Yeah. If the miracles that were done here in Tyre and Sidon they would still be here today. So woe to you because you're gonna go down to hell and uh-huh. all these hectic things that uh-huh. he says. It's not how do you balance that? Because that's not necessarily calling out their destiny. It's actually just calling out them out for their hard heartedness and everything. Yeah, but how does it, how does it, it, it sit together? Yeah, it, it, it actually sits together perfectly with Isaiah as well. You read the book of Isaiah, it's all about that. So Isaiah, because there's this thing in, yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I actually really wanted to address that because there's this thing in um, prophetic communities where it's like, oh, we don't focus on sin or anything like that. I'm going... Like, not really, because all of the prophets in the old, like prophets <laughs> and Jesus himself did address sin massively. When you read Isaiah though, it is so, it's like one of my favorite books. It's because he addresses things, but it's always, it always comes back to Israel, like come back to your father. God never calls out someone's sin just for the sake of it. He'll always call out the sin with redemption in mind. So just to say, Jesus wasn't just saying, oh, you guys are just, eh, and you're going to go to hell. He's doing that to wake people up. They're so hard-hearted from their religiosity that they can't even see the miracle worker in front of them. They're the ones who he's going, wake up. The sinners, he's the one going, tender mercy. Come home, Father's love. These guys are so callous to the Father's love. He's going, wake up, wake up. That's, that's, that's Jesus. Like he's going, just wake up. Brood of snakes, you're deceiving others. You're not even getting in and you're taking other people to hell with you. That's the, he's like, see how pa- like he's like passionate, but at the same time, 
it's the father's heart. And the, the verse that I'd say for that is um, when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How, long, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers his chicks, but you weren't willing. He's saying, you guys, Pharisees, Jerusalem, religious people, you're the ones I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers a little chicks all together. You killed my prophets. You killed my people, but you weren't willing. So that's the heart that Jesus does things with. He's going, come on, come on. And they're not coming in. He's going, come on, <laughs> wake up. You're going to hell. And we've got a situation right now where, so um, yeah, do you, is that helping? It's not all just airy fairy, but he never calls out sin just for the sake of it. And we should never ever call out people's sin for the sake of it. We should call out people's sin with redemption in mind because God has such a higher calling for them. Is it, is it, would you kind of say like, if someone's being hard-hearted and walking in sin and denying that God's real, but they know he's real and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And you kind of want to like, you don't want to just ignore it. Mm. So you want to say something. Mm. You, want, you want to warn them. You, you can yeah. warn them sternly. It's yeah. still part of this prophetic culture. Uh, yeah, 100%. Because it's the ultimate goal is to call them out who they actually are. But why are you warning them? Do you want them to go to hell? Like, it's, it's like, are you just warning them just because you want to scare them a bit? Or do you want them to go to hell? Like, when you warn your mates, you're going, warning them to rescue them from something. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So, the, so, so you reckon Jesus' goal is warn someone and and give them a stern word to wake them up and to kind of hopefully potentially open their ears up a little bit so they can hear and then you can call them into this place yeah. of yep. their destiny. Yeah. But because they are so hard-hearted, and they, yeah. they need that stern word yes. to hear in the first place. And especially the religious, yes, and especially like the religious people. Yeah. They're the ones, they're, they're the ones he does that to. The ones who have the gowns and they think they know everything and then they've got the Torah and they're doing all the little thingos. He's not doing that to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. They loved being around him. They just loved it. They were just like, that's my homie, Jesus. Now, did he endorse their lifestyle? No. Did he participate in their lifestyle? No. But they loved being around him because he accepted them, showed them grace and compassion. It was, the, it, was that, it was the religious mindset that thinks I can do it on my own. Yeah. So he's going, wake up. You can't do it on your own. Come be loved by the Father. You know, like it's that. Because <laughs> you've got to think like, what's the point of, of, of just warning someone or scaring them or telling them to go to hell? Like, there's no point. Mm. Enjoy that. Also, like the Pharisees were, were walking in their own righteousness. Sorry, that was what I was trying to get. Yeah, yeah. The Pharisees were walking in their own righteousness. The sinners, like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they, they knew straight away that they weren't Yes. So you're dealing with two hearts. Yeah. You've got a real soft heart going, wow, what are you looking at me for? Yeah. I've got all shame and guilt on me. Like, what are you looking at me for? You know? But a person who walks in their, walks in their own righteousness, it's very hard to get into their heart. Yeah. Yeah. so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jesus is sense. trying to, he's trying to drive people with his righteousness. The sinners and the, and the tax collectors receive it. Because they know the salvation, the depth of their salvation that they've been saved from, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, because the reason I ask is because a lot of, like, prophetic culture is is heavily positive, uh -huh. which is great, but it doesn't have a lot of this, 
uh, stern, strong word that potentially sometimes needed. Uh-huh. So yeah, what I'm what I'm sort of saying is. Jesus is not going to walk up to a Pharisee and go, you're amazing, bro. You're the righteousness of God. And start speaking all this stuff over them <laughs> when they're being hard-hearted and okay. placing those listening. Okay. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And it's yeah. being... Te- yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's what I said at the start as well. You've got one... You, I mean, you can't address everything in one sermon, let alone. Um, but what we're talking about now is a prophetic culture. But I said at the very start, we, this has to be paired with the culture of correction and the culture of feedback. Otherwise, it's lopsided. And it's unbalanced. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up though because it, their love, I feel so loved like when people look out for me and they yeah. steer me. Like, yeah. they, like I like that. And so, yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by prophetic culture? Okay. So a prophetic culture is that basically when you've got a whole group of people who are all of the same mindset, I guess, that you're seeing what I'm talking about now is you're seeing one another for your destiny. I'm seeing you for your destiny and not for your history. So what I'm saying is I'm seeing you the way God sees you and what God has planned for you rather than judging you according to your past mistakes. Yeah. So once you've got a whole company of people doing that, assuming that there's no religiosity around, um, you're going to have an incredible place where you're calling one another higher you're calling one another to the standard that has been set for us by Jesus and illustrated in the Gospels and outlined for us in the epistles. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, the... Uh, so sp- good? Yeah. 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 So, just... Because I've been feeling that same thing as well. I'm like, there's got to be the correction to bring the redemption type stuff. Like, you can't just... Uh, and that's what, when I read in Isaiah, it's always just like, Israel, what are you doing? You're worshiping idols. Come back to me. I love you. Like it's that you're, you're called to be the... I'm sorry. So you say the culture of correction? Yes. What Yeah. How does that manifest itself? Culture of correction? I would say it's, it's a culture where I'm open this actually. I'm not this authority man up the front. I'm open to hearing feedback. I'm open to hearing what other people have to say and to actually help me achieve that destiny if I'm not living in, 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 um, in line with that. So if I'm doing something that's other than in the holiness of Jesus, if I'm doing something that other than what the Bible's told me to live and the grace of God's empowered me to live, um, then people around me have permission to talk to me about it. But it's not to shame you. It's to say, what are you doing? Like, that's not who you are. And you're selling yourself short. And you're, you're, what you're doing is you're living less than... That really the cultural correction? Mm-hmm. That, that's what, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. It happens if you want it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it happens to me. My bro, like my clo- my mates and my and Jules and Holly, like they keep me accountable. And if I'm doing something that like, <laughs> then I'll have a mum and dad chat with me and I say, Nico, what like Nicholas, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Last question. Yeah. How, why is it so hard to get through to people? Like especially with it, like when you guys were talking about hard hearts before, I was just like, why is it so hard to actually just 
break down that barrier and that wall. Okay. It's such a big wall, you know what I mean? Sick. There's like so many more than one way to skin a cat, but I'm actually good. I want to talk a bit about that later. Um, about what what happens when you prophesy over someone. It's not just words, it's a spirit of prophecy. Okay. And it releases a different reality and, and, and there's a there's a there's something that just unlocks and then they enter into a new realm of freedom they didn't know existed because you're seeing wow. from that new vantage point that it's like you're adjusting their head and they're going, oh, I didn't know that was there. Right. Yeah. Okay. But awesome. yeah, we'll get there. Um, cool. So what I was talking about, um, seeing people f- who they are in Jesus, um, we sort of all know that. We've been taught like a lot of identity stuff that, that we're, we're royalty, we're the righteousness of God. Um, we're accepted in him, but also like seeing him according to like, you know, those lists in like Galatians or Ephesians or something like that. And it talks about like, these are the works of the spirit. These are the works of the flesh. And you're looking at the works of the spirit and you're saying, okay, this is who you are. If you're a spiritual person, you're born of the spirit, then this is who you are. And then you have the power to call that out in people and say, actually, I don't see you living this yet, but I'm going to declare it over you anyway. So, that is um, leads us to Acts 9, um, where we've got uh, the Damascus Road, where Saul's converted. That's what I was talking about before. Are we seeing people for their past, or are we seeing... Actually, this is very good, because this guy was a Pharisee, so maybe this might mix, mess things up a bit. Um, the, and that's the thing, the grace of God is willing to mess up the way we view life, and the way we view our plans, and the way we view other people. So from verse one, it says, then Saul still, he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was still breathing the threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. Scary guy. He went to the high priest and asked letters uh, from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Nice guy. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly how good's that? <laughs> and suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you hear that? It's like, it's like Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's not going, you pump, you know, like he's going, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like, why would you be doing that? That's not you. <laughs> That's not the Paul I know. <laughs> That's not the Paul I know. He's going, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And then he says, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> so he trembled. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Then he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Well, that sort of addresses what we're talking about. This guy was about, like he was a murderer. He was breathing murderous threats. He was wanting to murder. Um, He was a terrible, terrible person. Um, And... Then Jesus still met him exactly where he was at, confronted him with his light and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This guy went on to be, uh, 
full of the love of Jesus to the point where he's like giving people holy kisses and stuff like that. And he's planting churches everywhere to share about this amazing grace and love of the Father. So when we're looking at people, especially that we're ministering to, we have to have a redemptive approach to it where we're going, okay, am I looking at you for your history? Everyone in the church was really, really scared of Saul. They're going, oh no, Saul, he's trying to kill Saul. Where Jesus just goes, no, no, boom, here I am. And he's going, I don't, I'm not, I'm not buying into all this murderous stuff. I'm going to give you another go. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm not seeing you according to what you've done, the murders that you committed. I'm going to see you as the righteousness of God in Jesus. I'm going to see you as holy and blameless. I'm going to wash you in my blood. Like, and so it's looking through a different lens where you're looking at people according to who they will be in Christ, as opposed to who they have been in their flesh. If Jesus can do that for Saul, we surely can do that for our brothers and sisters, but we should also do it for the world around us. It's not saying that the world around us is already born again. It's saying that we're looking through that lens though. <laughs> and we're looking through a redemptive lens. When you do this, it changes the way you minister to people as well. You start to reconcile them instead of condemn them and just say, you're this, blah. You're going, no, no, you don't know who you are, but I'm bringing you in. And I'm going to help you see who you are in Jesus. I'm going to help you see how loved you are and accepted you are. So viewing from an entirely different vantage point, viewing from heaven's vantage point, seeing things in a completely new light. Cool, making sense? Um, okay, so there was one more thing I was going to talk about on this, but I cannot remember viewing people for their value. Destiny, yes, you can. Uh-huh. Um, people sometimes say, yeah, but if you call people up to that standard of righteousness, mm. like that's how God mm. has you know, yeah. said that we are, we are the righteousness of God. Yeah. Doesn't that give people the idea that they can just go off and do what they want to do? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, to yeah, totally. And they use it as a license they to do whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah, good luck to him. Uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm of the perspective that I'm going to declare. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, that's yeah, true, yeah. I totally I, get it. I, um, kind of too, yeah. I think that if you call someone into that righteousness mm. instead of, you know, into muck. Yeah. They, they will rise up to that. Yeah. But, but yeah. Some people think that. Oh no! If you keep preaching that. Yeah. Then oh, it's just going to tell everyone to just do what they want to do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Totally. And so then it comes back to again. What it, it, this is? This is one revelation. This is or this is a truth, right? Now to have a prophetic culture as well, you can't. Okay. There, there is no idolatry for one type of truth. What I mean by that is there is a multiplicity. There's a multitude of different truths that are in this Bible many different revelations are in this Bible. And if we don't hold them in tension and we begin to worship one truth, what happens is we think, number one, we're the oracle of all of the breakthrough of the entire world. And this is the one truth that you've got to get. And this is your lottery ticket to get this and this and this. It gets really skewed. So this is why the prophetic culture, it brings up these questions, but it has to be, we have to be so bold in our proclamation of, rivers in the wasteland jesus like looks at deserts he looks at valleys of dry bones and he goes oh yeah just by the way say that they're alive 
and you go, they're not alive. And he goes, but say they're alive. You're calling what it, uh, calling, calling something into existence that's not there yet. Now you're participating with the nature of your, fa- with, of your father and the divine nature when you do that because the father was the one who when there was nothing, he spoke and then life came. He spoke and then light came. So the speaking precedes the actual transformation. So there's a step of faith involved where you have to take that risk and you have to just go flip. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit and he's calling me to declare something that's totally not the reality right now. And you've just got to trust that in the declaration is the power for that, that transformation to happen. Um, there's, there's an element of trust and faith and normally people who bring up those questions like to bog themselves down in sin and they don't actually understand the way the father deals with them and loves them. Um, but also the other side of it is I can get where they're coming from as well if there isn't the culture of being able to correct one another and talk through issues and call one another higher. So it has to be the prophetic seeing people before they're something as if that like and calling them something that they're not and calling their destiny down and saying you're actually an abundant river river and you're uh, you're got flowing rushing waters but you've actually it, it's a dry wasteland and everyone's going it's a dry wasteland nick and i go i don't know those valleys the dry bones you're alive by the way and they go and everyone's like no 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 it's dead you're alive no no it's dead you're alive same thing as joshua marketing around the walls what are you doing, Joshua? Oh, the walls are coming down. He goes, no, they're not. And he goes, no, no, the walls are coming down. So the prophetic shifts the way and it seems totally illogical and it should bring up these type of questions. But that's the power of it. That's like where the is when you call something that's not as if it is and that lost relative, you say, Father, I thank you, you've saved them. I thank you, they're washed in your blood. They're not saved, they're not washed in your blood, but you're speaking it as if it is. And, and the power of life and death's in your tongue. So as you call forth things and you call forth things from heaven's vantage point, the Father's saying, this is the way I see it. And you go, yes, okay, I just declare light. And then all of a sudden the cosmos is created. So the, the word will precede the transformation. What, that, what happens is for people who take life really literally, they might get really discouraged when there's not actual fruit straight away. That's when we have to have wonder and childlike expectancy that our father is still good. He's still working and it might just take time or something's going on, but you just got to keep that place going. No, God's still good. And in the mystery, I'm still going to praise him and I'm still going to declare it as if it is. Um, so, so as we're, um, yeah, as, as, as uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're calling things that are, uh, that aren't as if they are. And there's, there's power in that declaration. It takes the step of faith and it takes the ridicule of people all around us. But especially in the Western world, we're very literal. We're very logical and we think, oh no, that hasn't happened yet. It's just part of creating a cult, an environment of faith. And it might be hard at the start and you go, well, things haven't shifted yet. But things are, or like that person's still living in sin or whatever. And you're just going, oh, I'm still marching around the walls. I'm still marching around the walls of Jericho. I'm still marching, but they're, they're down. And everyone's going, no, they're not. You go, well, they're coming down. And they go, no, they're not. You're not, you're not excavating. You're not doing anything. It's part of the nature of the prophetic to be a bit loopy <laughs> because you're actually sane from heaven's vantage point. And people who take things literally will struggle with it. And it's something that has to shift um, because that, that, can actually, that shifting can actually be the pathway to the breakthrough. Making sense? Yeah, so good. Yeah, so, yeah. Prophetic, you 
You can't back off. The prophets, and they were called to prophesy whether people heeded their words or not as well. It was just like, you do what God's told you to do. You go and do the prophesying. You go to that place. If they repent, it's on their heads. If they, but if you don't go, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you don't, if they don't repent, it's on their own hands. It's on their own heads. Okay. Um, that's not so. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, I know. I don't, when I prophesy over people, sometimes I know, like I pick up things in the spirit, and I'll be like, "Oh well, I've seen this right now," but it's always to bring them back to the redemption. You don't just call something out for the sake of calling it out. Like there's always with the Father's heart in mind of I want to make this whole. And when you're a dad, and dad, like I'm not a dad yet, but I feel like I'm getting there. But when you guys are dads, you guys know like you've got the best interest for your kids, and you're always wanting the good destiny for them. You're wanting, if it's like it, all things work together for the good of those that love God and according, according to his purpose. So you've got that in mind. You're going, oh man, Johnny's not going, oh, sorry. Um, uh, Phil, uh, Phil's, Phil's not going good. Phil's not going good right now. But then like, but you're seeing who you know him to be. And with a dad, you can never convince them that their sons, like they've just got this idea in their head. I know him to be this. Like you'd have that with Jordan or Sammy or Josh, like, I know who they are and you've seen them from a little kid and you see their identity, you see their destiny and a father views from the lens of, I know their potential and who they are really. And when they're not living up to it, then you, can, you correct them and you discipline them, but it's out of that place of father's heart of, of really seeing their potential and their identity. So, let's, so we're going to be a people who t- take bold and it, it messes people up as well. When you're really dirty, like when you're, it, you've just got to have faith in the power of God's grace and the declaration of the word that we're partaking of his nature. He called things into being that weren't actually there yet. Like he, he called the world into being by his word. So his word is powerful um, and the declaration of his word is powerful. And so we have to be a, a, a people who are willing to call dirty things clean. <laughs> when you're prophesying over someone, it is the most messed up thing. When you're really, really dirty and then someone looks at you and says, I just feel the father says you're clean. Everything in your whole body just goes, and you're just like, holy crap. I'm so dirty though. But how can I be clean? But, but, I'm clean. I'm clean. I remember the first time I heard I was righteous and, and uh, um, a person was preaching and they said, yeah, I don't care what anyone says. They say you're a sinner. You say you're this. I'm telling you, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you are righteous. You're not dirty anymore. You're clean. You're righteous. You're brand new. It hit me like a freight train because I, I was aware of how dirty I was and someone was telling me something it was complete. It was, I'm righteous. What? No. What? Oh, it must be grace because I did not do anything to deserve that. I did not do anything to earn that. It's a new perspective shift. And then you're learning to see yourself as the father sees you. And that will help us through heart healing journeys. And that will help us through all sorts of complications and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but especially when you're on a heart healing journey or on a growth journey as well, we have to go on them when the Holy Spirit's initiating and leading. But you can never lose it, it, the identity that the Lord's speaking over you at the same time. Otherwise, you can get too fixated on your baggage and working through things with the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to also know sometimes the God, the God of the universe just says, you're complete in Him. And you go, okay, it's not the end of the world. I'm journeying through this stuff, but I'm complete in him. It doesn't make any sense, but it's not meant to. It's 
Christianity doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Sorry, teachers. And, I, I, and I'm fully aware that people who love teaching the word, they want truth and they like want clarity and, and teaching. And that's amazing. That's awesome. Can I, can I say, yes. really um, on that point, uh-huh. there's in the, in the fivefold ministry, there's teaching, there's prophecy, there's the shepherds, yeah. and there's the evangelists. And, the and apostles, and the apostles. Yeah. The, the prophecy and the teaching are two ways of hearing the words of the word of God. Yep. One is straight, very particular. This is teaching. Straight, very particular. It's X, it's not Y. Uh-huh. It's very straight in the light. It says this, it means this. Prophecy is completely not like that. It doesn't make... Yes. yes, 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 yes. Other imbalance. So if you go to town on teaching, you never hear the voice of God for right now. If you go to town on prophecy, you have no idea. I hope this true. is picking up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's the same with the, the shepherds and the evangelists. The shepherds just want to take care of the church. Yep. And the evangelists just want to go tell the world. You literally need both. And they perfect each other. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Yes. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Mate. You're my homie. <laughs> You're home. Because that's the thing as well in, in this in this whole thing is in the body of Christ, we've got all... Oh, so that is so good. Because... And... Okay, I'm going to talk about it now. So when you... When you're viewing things from a prophetic lens, you have to understand that there's people in the body of Christ who are different from you. Yeah. And sometimes... The, the, the thing that you want to hear is awesome and that's because you're grown in that area, you're developed in that area, you're whole in that area and you just love to hear what is comfortable and what is safe and what you're good with. So for me, I'd love to listen to say Bill Johnson. I just, easy, I just put it on and I just melt. I'm just like, this is awesome. Maybe someone like Danny Silk wasn't my cup of tea because he's talking about getting real, real life situations, dealing with messes, dealing with baggage, like how to do relationships, how to be relatable. Oh my gosh, for a prophetic person, like trying to be relatable is just like, <laughs> am I right? So, like, it's just like you're, you're like off in another world and, and, and people are like, what the heck is that going about? And you go, you just don't get it. <laughs> I just love Jesus. <laughs> but like, but in the body of Christ, there's these different things and you have to realize that the people that you sometimes least want to listen to, hang around, be around, are the places where the Lord's deposited some of his greatest wisdom for you. Amen. So he hides his gold in the person that you would least normally like to gel with or be on the same wavelength with. Because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to search that matter out. So sometimes God hides himself in, I've heard it said, uh, hides himself in a package that uh, uh, he hides the greatest gift for you in a wrapping that you really don't like. <laughs> you have to get through the offense of the wrapping. And, oh, they just teaches that like from it. It's just like teachers that is, that is so literal and real and they just don't get that it's all woo and like presence and anointing and they just want X, Y, and Z and it's all and you can understand it all and I just, oh, that's the worst thing ever. But the thing is, when I unwrap that wrapping and I go and I meet someone like Nathan and he's the most lovely man in the world, I'm just like, dude, this guy's legit. But also, so I love him and value him for who he is, but I also love him for uh, and, and I can grow off who he's been gifted to be. 
So especially like in this nature, you've got to be looking beyond the natural eye and going, where is the goal that the Lord's hidden for me in the body of Christ all around me? And so for, for, like, for example, if I'm a really prophetic person, um, and I love to be in the heavenlies and everything like that. But Nath is loving real life, communicating, ground level, stuff like that. If I don't hang around with someone like him, I'm never going to be able to communicate the information I get from heaven and make it relevant to people down here on earth. So, so basically, if I'm never hanging around with someone with a different gifting or an anointing to me... Yeah. And, and say he wants, to be, he wants to be relatable and communicate things effectively. And I just want to be floating around in the heavenlies in God's presence and just enjoying my time in my room and being a hermit. Like, how is the stuff that I'm getting in the spiritual realm, how is the stuff I'm getting with Jesus up in the heavenlies ever going to touch down to planet Earth and actually change someone's life? Wow. So that's a, a far out, dude. I'm so glad you said that because without the, the fivefold, you become a skewed culture. You become leaning in too far one way, too far the other way. And, and, and that's exactly what Nath was saying is that we actually need... So when I'm, when I'm talking like this, I'm completely aware that there's another side, uh, five sides to the same coin. <laughs> there's another five sides to the same coin. Um, like there's another five sides to the same coin. So like I'm, I'm completely aware that next week or say next week, uh, Holly's going to get up and she's going to share from mama's pastoral heart and worried about the flock and, and making sure people are understood and known. Whereas I'm coming here and going, just call something that doesn't exist as, as if it is. <laughs> and Holly's going, yeah, she's going, well, but she actually loves that. But like from a pastoral heart, they're going, no, no, be good to be attentive to their feelings and, and their thing. And, and I'm just going, no, 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 dry land, rivers. You are rivers, rivers. And I'm just going, you are flowing. They're going, no, I'm not. And I go, yes, you are. You're flowing in Jesus. You're already soaring. They go, I'm not soaring. Yes, you are. You're just not seeing it correctly. So th- there's like a different angle to see every side of the face of Jesus. If we have the fivefold flowing all together, like and Nate's coming and bringing the heat and breaking things down people going i'm understanding this for the first time in my entire life i'm being related to and and then holly comes in she goes and understanding where people are coming from their struggles and you piece it all together you start to build up one another and we all start to look like christ it's funny because once it's all together we all look like christ but also my gift is nowhere near as effective as it should be without the the teacher's relationship in my life and vice versa because yes so without the, it's a family and we've all got different parts to bring to the family and without seeing the different giftings on one another's life, um, our giftings will be lessened, but also the family's experience of becoming like Jesus will be lessened and also the world's experience of seeing Christ in the church will be lessened. So it's this whole thing. So uh, the other thing is you've got to be unapologetically you. So you've just got to go, this is the this is the way, like when I'm sharing, I'm sharing from this lens, right? But at the same time, you're so tenderhearted and so aware that uh, someone's going to come and share from a completely different perspective next week. And that is probably going to be very confusing. But once we push past the confusion, then we start to go, oh, it actually works together perfectly. And it is healthy and it is uh, balanced and beautiful. Yeah, dude, I'm so glad you said that. That was like, Good, because didn't want to forget that. Um, because a lot of churches they pick the one route and yeah. they go to town on that, yeah. yeah, and they ignore the rest. Yes, it's very skewed. But the apostles are there to watch over it all. Yeah, to get all the check, yeah. Balance, you know? 
so. Yep, and and create yes, and create culture of God's pre yeah. In unity, there's diversity. And yeah, that's unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mine can feel the pastoral heart because how much it needs the prophetic as well because a pastoral heart can easily shift into enabling a person, mm. you know, but the prophetic part of, you know, of God says, come on, rise up. Yep. This is who you are. Sick. Instead of like the pastoral saying, come on, oh, you poor thing, yep, we can work it out, yeah. you know, do, do, do. You, you know, if you've got the pastoral heart, you can shift into that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then the thing is, as well, in our relational dynamics, is it's, um, it's um, making sure, I think clashes are going to be inevitable, yeah. but making sure that we walk through the clash, because we're different. So there will be clash, but letting the clash smooth out and round our hearts. Mm-hmm. And then letting it, letting it, um, it will be inevitable, but what happens with that clash is up to us and our hearts. And if I choose to maintain fellowship for the sake of our relationship and our covenant friendship and the covenant with the Lord, if I choose to focus on the covenant rather than the difference, then what's going to happen is I'm going to be mutually encouraged by your faith. You're going to be mutually encouraged by my faith. And it, yeah, it sort of rounds you out and then you end up looking more like more like Jesus. Um it's brilliant. How long have I been going for? How much time is there? Ten minutes. Ten minutes left. Okay, so um, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Seeing people as a... So as we prophesy over people, don't be afraid when the Holy Spirit unctions you to just call them something that they're not. <laughs> and just... And watch that rattle. It rattles everything. It's like a... And it just goes... Oh, yeah. I'm clean. So that, that's, how we're, that's how we're dealing with... Um, uh, that's how the prophetic can impact um, our experience of other people. Um, oh man, I might just read this because to, to be able to see God's view for ourselves, uh, for, for others, um, see you guys. Um, oh, see you, Dean. Um, to understand God's view for us, uh, others, it really helps if we can understand God's vantage point for ourselves. Um, this impacts, yes, this impacts the way we walk through life and walk through our sanctification and our growing process in holiness. So I was sitting in, um, in Bethel at a thing called an AMT, which is like a class um, when I was just visiting that my friend got me into, which was very fortunate to go to. And, um, and the whole thing was head to the heart. And it was about this journey of getting the information from your head into your heart and, and uh, yeah, how to grow in your relationship with Jesus in a really healthy way. Um, I didn't really know what it was all about, but I just said, to, I prayed a prayer to the Lord uh, in, in the prophetic realm as well, that, that things don't have to work by natural laws. So basically what I mean by that is these guys, bless them, they They'd spent nine months doing this course and I said, I went in there and a hungry heart can always pull something that doesn't make sense and you don't actually deserve or it's not owed to you or doesn't make sense that you got it. But I said, Lord, whatever they're getting in the nine months, I really, really want to get this um, in my heart. Can you please give it to me? So I'm sitting there and just sitting there and enjoying myself. Um, and and this, this ties into the way the Father sees us and the way He sees us through our growth journey. 
So if we can see this for ourselves, it hopefully will make sense for the way we see things for other people. Because you're not calling them something and then telling them to ignore their baggage in a sense. You're calling them something and it just springs life and then their baggage will get dealt with and their issues will get dealt with. So I'm, um, I'm asking the Lord, um, help me. I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I'm listening to Guy. It's going in one ear, out the other because it's the middle of the course and I can't really pick up where he's going. And he's, it was a bit weird actually. He was talking to a plant. <laughs> he had a plant on the table and um, he's actually a really normal guy. It wasn't anything weird, but there was a plant on the table and he was going, um, he was talking to the plant and I was like, I'm so zoned out right now. And the whole point was the way the father talks to us as the vine and the branches. And he was going, you're not, you're not needing or lacking anything, little plant. And he's saying, you're not leading or lacking anything. I water you a bit and I do this, but you're not needing or lacking anything. You're my plant. You're fully leaf and he's talking to the leaf and it's connected to the vine and, and anyway i was going sitting there going okay um and i've prayed that prayer to the holy spirit all of a sudden i start picking up my fingers this is the way the lord can speak sometimes um to us and it's for me it's often a still small voice so it's just a knowing i just have this deep it's tied in with his presence but it's just this deep knowing i'm like wow that is the lord it was crazy um and then all of a sudden it's just flowing um but i was picking up my fingers and I was picking at the corner of my fingers. I've always done it. And I was picking away. And then I heard this little voice in my head saying, why do you keep picking, why, uh, why do you keep picking your fingers? And I went, because um, I'm bored and the guy's talking to a plant. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't because of that. What followed was crazy. And this is the voice of the Lord. And this is the way he looks at us. He says, because you don't like you. And you think that something you can do will change you. Something I can do, which was actually hurting me and causing more damage to myself. I was thinking that that could change me. And it was coming from this place of dislike towards myself. And I was like, well, <laughs> okay, well. And the voice kept going in my head. I'm not trying to change you. I am growing you. There's a big difference because change, like if we say it in the right way, it can make perfect sense. But sometimes it's like change is saying, I don't like this. So I'm trying to make you into this. Now, if you are husbands and wives, you know, like, or long-term relationships, like you know that like, if you are going into the relationship, trying to change your spouse, it's probably not going to be the best. If you're just trying to change every little nitpicking thing about them, it's not going to work out too well. The Lord's going, there's actually a change in the way you think. I'm not trying to change you because I don't like you. I'm growing you because I actually really like you. So he's growing you. He said, I already like you the way you are, but I'm growing you into a bigger, better, more amazing you. Before I saved you, you were dead. Now you are alive because of the life that I imparted to you. I want you to be an imparter of that life into the dead in the world, to cross them over from dead death to life, and then to continue to grow to my fullness. We don't change strategy to get people saved and then to grow them. The strategy is always to salt, to leaven, to shine, and to impart life to what's already, already dead. And then this is, uh, and this is love and it will never fail. 
So that's one perspective shift and it changed the entire way I viewed sanctification. God's not trying to change us. It's like the vine and the branches. He's growing us. He's pruning us. He's tending to us. It's not because he doesn't like you. It's because he really likes you. He likes you so much that he wants you to grow into a more fuller, complete version of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. So that's why we've got the vine and the branches. So that frees you to go on this growth journey because you're not thinking every time I grow, it means that God doesn't like this part of me and he's trying to change it. It's because he likes you and he loves you and he's growing you into who he knows you to be the whole time. Once you hear the voice of the Lord for yourself and you realize, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had that self-hatred there and I thought I could fix myself by picking at me (laughs) and it was actually hurting me more than fixing me. And the Lord goes, no, stop picking at yourself and let me grow you. <laughs> let me grow you. It's all about growing. It's all about leavening. It's all about salting and giving light. Understanding that changed the entire way I viewed myself in my journey of, of sanctification and growing in holiness. And, um, and that's then what we can uh, impart to others. And that was the message is to, to shine the light, to leaven, to grow and nurture um, other people. So the prophetic's really real, real life. Um, and it changes circumstances. I like this one. Don't have much time for it. But anyways, Isaiah 43. Like maybe we can just read this because like if you understand the, prof- the way to think in a prophetic mindset, um, like Isaiah's so good. And did you know Isaiah has 66 book chapters? 66 chapters. How cool is this? Oh, it's in my Bible. Bob, Isaiah is like a miniature Bible. The first 39 chapters, like the 39 books of the Old Testament. So there's 39 chapters, and the first 39 chapters in Isaiah um, are the same as the 39 books of the Old Testament. They're filled with judgment upon immoral and idolatrous men. Judah has sinned. The surrounding nations have sinned. The whole earth has sinned. Judgment must come, for God cannot allow such blatant sin to go unpunished forever. The final 27 chapters, like the 27 books of the New Testament, declare a message of hope. The Messiah is coming as a savior and a sovereign to bear a cross and to wear a crown. Crazy. So Isaiah has the same amount of chapters as books in the Bible. And the first part of Isaiah is the same amount of chapters as the Old Testament. And that talks about judgment and wrath against sin. But then the preceding um, remaining 20 odd chapters uh, represent the the last 20 odd chapters in the New Testament. And it's all message, hope, messianic redemption, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Pretty cool. Anyways, Isaiah 43. Uh, I just want to read it, and then we'll just get in the mindset. And but um, I, this really just spoke to me and cha- really changed my life. This chapter. Um, so yeah, if you want to close your eyes or whatever, but uh, I'll just read this over you and think about this. This is what the Lord is saying to you. This is His now word for you. And you can hang on to this and know this is what the Father's saying over your life. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight and have been honored. God honors us and I have loved you. 
Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by name, who I've created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes. Haha, <laughs> that's backwards. Like, bring out the blind people who have eyes. <laughs> bring out the blind people who have eyes. Like, they've got no eyes, but they've got eyes apparently. Calling what's not as if it is, like Jesus. Calling dead things alive. And the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare such things and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Saviour. I have declared and saved and I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am He, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path. So God invades our circumstances. He makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. That's your enemies being quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, it's, now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness. I love that. He's making a road in the wilderness. He's making rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. Um, this is an, so that, was, that last bit was talking about like the Lord invading our circumstances, um, declaring things that are not as if they are for our circumstances. Um, this bit, sort of what Nath was talking about before, like there's, there is an addressing of junk, right? But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been wary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offering, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense, you have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I'll profane the princes of the sanctuary. I'll give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant and Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you in your womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant and you, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. For I'll pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. 
I'll pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And it goes on and on. But see, it addresses it, but then it comes back to here now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. He never forgets who he chose. He never forgets his covenant people. Um, so with our circumstances, viewing things from a prophetic lens and being open to hear the voice of the God will shift circumstances, will change them for the glory of God. I've seen it over and over again. Um, it's quite incredible. But I have... Oh, do I have my phone? Yes. Um, I'll share one story about it. Um, and then um, I think that'll be it. That, yeah. Um, one really cool story. So when... When we hear the voice of the Lord, it's really important to act on it and to listen to it. Sometimes it can come in a little voice in our head. Sometimes it can come in a knowing in our heart. Sometimes it can come through fear, like a feeling, a presence. You know, we know all the different ways God can speak to us. Um, but it's really important to act on it and knowing that those words and what I was saying before, sometimes people just don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. They, sometimes people do. There's a lot of other things as we talked about, but sometimes people need that prophetic word and it's the spirit of prophecy and it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not just a word that you're saying. The word itself carries life and it actually unravels the circumstance to come into alignment with heaven, right? So as we walk through life, we are to be looking at what heaven's reality is because we're called citizens of heaven. We're looking at what's up in heaven. We're saying, okay, that's heaven's present reality. Let's usher in that reality now. And so then we can say the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the name. <laughs> the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the culprit, okay? So viewing things from a prophetic lens comes from understanding what heaven's like. Once you know what the culture of heaven is, what, what's going on in heaven, absolute peace absolute joy, absolute right relationship with the Father, absolute love, just these perfect thing. It's a, it's a place where it's good and it keeps getting better. Now in our life here, it's good, but there may be things that come to hinder that, but then it's going to get better. In heaven, there's no hinder that period where we have to hang on through faith. It's just, it's good and continues to get better. There's no end to the goodness of God in heaven. It continues to get better and better and better. So you can rest knowing that it's only going to get better. For us as believers, that's a promise that's true for us here now on this earth. It's only going to get better for, because God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and accord according to his purpose. So knowing that good is going to be the final outcome of every single situation that you're in is the bedrock to our soul. That is hope. That's where faith springs from. And that's where you can begin to call that destiny forth down to the present reality. Sounds crazy, but, it's, but the thing is we have to walk through the difficulty sometimes standing in faith and knowing that it, it will get better because it's not the end. Um, so that absolutely will shift our circumstances. We can have a mystical walk with the Lord where he's present in all of our circumstances, that every circumstance that you face is in Christ because Christ is in you. That doesn't mean we're passive to every circumstance. Circumstances sometimes um, lead us to the voice of the Lord and then we can get correction and grow from that place. But we can have a, a really tight walk with the Lord. It doesn't mean every one of our circumstances is from the Lord. Otherwise, that means sin was from God. That's not true because God isn't the author of sin. He's the author of life. He's the author of holiness. Okay, so... That means that every circumstance we face, like we're going to be attentive to the voice of the Lord and listening to his leading because we can't be passive to every circumstance because there might be dead things that God wants us to resurrect. 
that's going to require us to be active and that's going to be a require us to be attentive to what's heaven's reality and then calling that forth down here through our declaration and through our voice. I don't know why it is, but um, sometimes if we keep our voice silent, the things don't shift. But then as soon as you open your voice in obedience to the Lord, things start to shift, things start to take place. And it's amazing. Um, I'll just share this quick story and then I'll finish up. But this is an example of that happening. Um, so, sorry, I just skimmed through all of that really quickly and that was like a big thing, but whatever, food for thought. Um, what's it? Okay. So, this happened one time, just so you know it's all real. <laughs> um, this happened one time in... Um, okay, I got it. Um, I was surfing. Jesus can speak to us anywhere. I was just chilling. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just sitting there, just surfing, catching waves, blah, 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 sitting out the back. And then <laughs> I hear uh, Dalapan Sambilan Sapulu. And I go... In my, yeah, I just heard it. It was a thought in my head. And I went, what the heck's Dalapan Sibilan Sapulu? I go, Dalapan Sibilan Sapulu, Dalapan Sibilan Sapulu. Now, it's like Moses with the burning bush. Like if you don't lean in a bit closer, you might not realize that it's the Lord of the universe. You could just keep walking past and be like, "Mm, burning bush, cool. But it's really important to lean into circumstances and make sure we're attentive to what we hear because what we hear and the gratitude we have in our heart to what we hear will lead us to a greater encounter, revelation, manifestation of heaven coming to earth. I'm hearing Dalapan Sibilan Sapulu. Best question in the world, Holy Spirit, what is that? (laughs) Best question in the world, like help, like so weird. And then all of a sudden it started to unravel my mind. I, I did Indonesian at school. I haven't thought about Indonesian for a long, long time, but that meant eight, nine, and 10 in Indonesian. And I went, cool, eight, nine, and 10. Then I go, what is this all about, Holy Spirit? He goes, who's in Indonesia right now? My friend was in Indonesia at the time. (laughs) I went, no way. What's tomorrow? What's tomorrow, the day after and the day after that? The eighth, ninth, 10th of the month. (laughs) I went, wow. And he said, and over the 8th, 9th, 10th of the month, there's going to be, um... okay, I'll read it. Yo, what's, whatever your name is, hope you're having a great time in Indo. So I was in the surf and kept hearing Dalapan Subilan Sapulu over and over. Having prophetic fans must keep your life entertaining. Um, I didn't write that. That's just over and over again in my head. I knew Indonesian from school and I knew you were over there. I feel like the 8th, 9th, and 10th of December, so this is all what I was getting in my head. I'm like, oh, I may as well send it to her. Uh, 8th, 9th, 10th of December, you are going to be um, in- encountering days of massive breakthrough in the relationships with the people you're traveling with. I feel that there's a girl who you're becoming really close with who is going to be sharing some relational struggles she's having with a partner she has. I said partner because I knew it was a same-sex thing, but I didn't realize it was the same sex. Like, I didn't want to that's a pretty ballsy thing to say. So I was a bit like, I'll say partner and relational struggle. But in my heart, I was going, it's a, they've got some, some same sex attraction, something rather going on. Anyway, and I felt that they were going to be really vulnerable about that. Um, yeah, you're going to bring such comfort to her just by being you. 
She'll be blown away by the way you treat her and care for her in a genuine way. I really hope over this, I feel hope over this situation that though it looks bleak, it is being worked together for their good as they are going to know how caring and compassionate God is to their struggles. Anyways, have the best time over there, whatever you, like their name is. Alrighty, then it got funky because then it went, oh my goodness. This is what they replied. Oh my goodness, exclamation marks. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks so much, Iggy. I can't wait to see this unfold. Da, 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 da. Oh, sorry, that wasn't the actual thing. That was their reply straight away. Okay, on the 9th of December. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> can't wait to call you. I'm just in a room with my housemate, so I can't call now. But wow, Jesus. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jesus. That's amazing. Can't wait to hear all about it. Talked to her on the phone. Turned out that that was bang on. This girl that she'd been getting really close with over there on this um, trip, um, she didn't really know her too well. But then that girl opened up to her on those days about the struggles that she's been having. She's a Christian girl and she was having struggles with same-sex attraction. She felt absolutely guilty and condemned and felt like she was absolutely ridden off. And she opened up to Jazz on, that, on the 9th of, of December. Um, Jazz was able to be there to comfort her through that, to love her through that, to show her compassion and ultimately to point her to Jesus. And, and, and through that love, because a lot of people who do struggle with a lot of that stuff, it's a, it can be a very psychological thing where it's a lack of love, a healthy love relationship um, from people of that gender in their life. And what the church does sometimes is they push those type of people away and shun them. But what the Lord is actually wanting us to do is to love them and accept them and embrace them. And especially when it's like people of, who have uh, in their past who have hurt them, it, it can really jar that part of their mind. And once love comes in and the Father's love comes in or the person like, like, this, like this believer, their love comes in and accepts them as are, it can actually begin to unravel a lot of that stuff. And it just takes perseverance and it takes persistence and patience because there can be a lot of things attached to it. But I mean, in Bethel, they're seeing a lot of people who are coming out of that type of lifestyle, realizing that they're loved by their father and seeing actual transformation into holiness where they're actually breaking through into heaven's design that was always planned for their life that some people may have met, like, hurt them along the way and it's caused them to miss out on their design. But anyway... This person um, got to experience that unconditional love by my, my, my friend. Um, they, got in, they were so encouraged because they were like, God is on this. Then what happened was because the people on that trip, it was like a school university trip, and the people on that trip had this real stigma of Christians that we just didn't love those type of people, which we do. We love everyone, black, white, whatever it is. We love them and accept them as they are, but the Lord won't leave them the same. Um, that... Um, these people all witnessed this unconditional love that was being shown from this, our, my, our Christian friend. And then every single other person on their whole mission trip opened up their hearts to hearing about Jesus and hearing the gospel from our Christian friend. So then our, uh, my friend got to hear, um, uh, got to share the gospel with all of these people and who knows what the seeds were sown and the impact of that life happens. All that to say, I don't know whether that would have happened or not, whether I had that prophetic word. All I know is it happened and it's powerful. And our words aren't just words, they create realities. They create realms in the spirit because it's, it's really the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And he's the creator and he creates new circumstances that weren't actually possibly available to other people. Like when Jesus steps in the room, 
all the options change. There's a whole new option. There's, there's, he just brings all these new options. And he, he brings these options for freedom, for deliverance. But once Jesus steps into a situation, all of the possible outcomes of that circumstance uh, change and are reversed um, and, and can be reversed into God's design and God's order. Um, yeah, so that's that. Um, I just, I guess I'll pray for me amigos.